It, Opening day is April 1st. <coughs> is it all teams or is it? It looks like it's not all teams, but there are quite a few. Fuck you, CBS. Let me just look at shit without popping up. <laughs> you went with the first link of the Google search, didn't you? And it yep. went to the CBS. And there's they're just nothing but ads and misinformation. Like, let that be known to everyone. CBSSports.com sucks a dick. Well, hello and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. What up? Watch Rob Cops, then record our thoughts and place them on the internet for the tens and tens of listeners' listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing this fine Saturday afternoon? I am fantastic. I'm fucking ready for baseball now. Yeah, buddy. I am pumped. We got what seems like a kind of regular season coming back. I am psyched. Yeah, and the temperature is... It's like rising outside right now. It's getting, yeah, it's starting now. It's now in the 50s. It started off cold. It like I was wearing a sweater earlier, but now I'm in a tank top. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You know, that's just how, how Chicago rolls over here. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. The first, the first 30, 40 degree plus day is shorts and t shirt. If we get into the high 60s, windows opening and I'm taking my shirt off. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. That's just, that's just how it goes. 70s beach weather. Yeah. And yeah, in in weather like that in the seventies, that that's not only beach weather, but that's also ballpark weather. Ballpark indeed. And speaking of ballparks, we watched for love of the game, the baseball romantic. It, let's be real; it's more of a drama than a yeah. comedy, but it's the romantic dramedy. Let's call it that. Uh, from nineteen ninety nine, uh, this is a movie that I own. Although I did pay to rent it on Amazon because I was too lazy to go pull out my DVD book, which is under a bunch of shit in my closet. Um, <laughs> uh, Max, uh, like, how have you mentioned you've seen this before, but it's only like once, right? Yeah, and I don't remember much of it at all. Yeah, I basically and, remembered uh, that he played for the Tigers. That's about it. Yeah, the Tigers, who at the time sucked. Then they have quick spurts of goodness <laughs> in the in the decades after this movie. I was going to say, they, they suck always again. suck. They just had like random little like, oh, we're going to yeah. try to be good this year. Like in 2012. Yeah. Looking at you bitches when we swept your ass. Sorry, I shouldn't rub that shit in, but that's and my then favorite also, series. I believe in 2006 when they also got swept by the Cardinals. So. Oh, yeah. 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 Mickey Cabrera made it to the World Series three times and basically pulled off the greatest upset, one of the greatest upsets, and then was a part of two absolutely inconsequential <laughs> World Series after yeah, that. Yeah, dude. Yeah. What a poor, forgotten poor legend Mickey. he is. He's a forgotten legend because he's he mashed for decades. He and Albert Pujols are going to be forgotten of how good they were. Yeah. Because they've been in the game for so long. You're so right. Yeah. They both carried franchises. In the 2000s, though. We're yeah. now in the 2020s. So, yeah. like, they've been in the league for almost a whole decade of irrelevance. And now they're still playing in the 2020s. Anyway. Yeah. They were, you know, speaking of twilights of the of their career, that's where Billy Chapel, the main character for Love of the Game, is. Uh, as for Love of the Game, is a 1999 American sports drama romance film, directed by Sam Raimi and written by Dana Stevens, which is based on Michael Shara's 1991 novel of the same title. Oh, really? It stars Kevin Costner and Kelly Preston, and it follows the perfect game performance of an aging star baseball pitcher, Billy Chapel as he deals with the pressures of pitching in Yankee Stadium in the Bronx in his final outing by calming himself with memories about a long-term relationship with Jane Aubrey, which is the character's name, for Kelly Preston's character. 
this also stars uh, Jenna Malone as Heather, the daughter. The daughter. Uh, Brian Cox, who plays uh, Wheeler, the owner who's selling the team. And John right. C. Riley plays Gus Sinski, the catcher and basically best friend of Billy Chappell. You cannot underestimate a battery mate, dude. And John C. Riley fucking nailed it. We will talk about John C. Riley for sure. Uh, this movie came out in September of seventeenth of nineteen ninety nine, and so it was right around the time that like the end of the year would be. So that's that's mm. interesting. And then uh, the running time of the film two hours and eighteen minutes. Is that all? Jesus. <laughs> It was a bit long, although at the same time, I will say I'm I'm pretty into it the whole time. It's just that there's two yeah. movies. here. They have two whole movies, a romance movie and a sports movie, and they mushed them together into one. It's like they made like mashed potatoes and, and like mashed potatoes and gravy and also some sort of like meatloaf. <laughs> and then they took it all together and mushed it into this mashed potato meatloaf shepherd's pie mash. That like has no form whatsoever, but it's all good. But like, you just don't know what you're doing with it. It's just like, I you just eat it like gruel anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was just letting you go, but I was like <clears throat> snickering under my breath, like, oh my god, this is so much, this is so fucking funny. I I can see I can see the wheels turning in your head. We we can see each other on camera as we're recording this. Uh, I can I can see like you were just like no no let's see where this goes. Yeah yeah I was like this, I, is, this is should, enjoyable. Yeah should I tell him that this is making no sense or should we just see where this goes? Uh, anyway, the budget for this film was fifty million dollars. Wow. Hey, Major League Baseball rides are probably not cheap. Oh, true. And then, the, and you know, and then also they used talks like there's a lot of like they did not do any of the fake merch or anything. They went very realistic with everything, including the major leagues. So That's it's like true, yeah. That probably cost a lot of money, especially because that was right after the whole McGuire Sosa thing. So the MLB was at its hottest as far as as a property. Fuck. So I'm sure they fucking charged a shit ton of money for their rights to be used in this movie. Hmm. Guess how much it made in the box office? $120 million. $46.1 million. Whoa. It did not make its budget back. Holy it, it shit. As fuck. Yeah. Quite the flop. Um, what happened? To, well, they're trying to put out a rom a romance baseball movie in September of '99. No one's really, and in the even mood though in that's like accurate with like the time of the movie, the timing of the movie, no one wants to watch a baseball movie in September. Yeah, you're already tired of baseball. You've been watching it all summer from real life. Like watching watching this right now, like a few days before opening day, before our fantasy draft tomorrow, like it, it's like leading up to it, and that's exactly when it should have been watched or should have come out. Yes, like it's a great movie to get you prepared for the season and remind you of all the beautiful parts of it, of the experience that are coming up, not as like a highlight reel. It's not happy-go-lucky enough to be a fucking highlight reel. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean... Okay. And this movie... This movie also uh, is a shout-out to a few other uh, care, or actors and just personalities who weren't mentioned on, like, the initial list. Uh, Vin Scully, of course. Oh, my God. Is the broadcaster. He... Let's just talk about Vin Scully right now. Yeah. Goat announcer, just the goat announcer of baseball. When when you think of like the phrase spin a yarn for like tell a story, no one spins a yarn better than Vince Scully. He he mm -hmm. is the ultimate storyteller. Mm -hmm. And the way that he waxes poetic over Billy Chapel throughout this film in that game 
is so well done. They just they let him eat. They're just like, here, yeah. you want to make a meal out of this? Here's all the food. You eat. Just eat. Just get it. However long you want to talk, just keep talking. He's so good, or he was so good at... Well, I'm sure he still is, but uh, he was so good at narrating the reality of the situation, but dramatizing it in just the right way where it was like, mm-hmm. he's still just quoting statistics, but somehow mm-hmm. it's so dramatic that it's got me like in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, that's, that's really what you need for baseball. You need a, commentator a narrator to remind you of what is happening in this moment and why it's important and why the the intensity is there and fuck he is he's always been so fucking good at it easily the best thing to come out of the dodgers organization (laughs) agreed and then of course his uh you know his beside him is steve lyons who was a fun broadcaster to listen to in the nineties and two thousands. Yeah, I rem- that was that, our generation. Yeah, I remember. I remember him listening to him when I would watch baseball games, and then uh, also, you know, quick shout out as well to J.K. Simmons, who plays the manager for the Tigers. Yeah, J.K. Simmons is dope. I love watching him just act in any film. You know, I mean, he's covered it. What from the uh, farmers insurance commercial? Oh. <laughs> yeah, we are farmers. And sponsorship opportunity right there. Yeah, uh, Costner did also receive a nomination for the Golden Raspberry Award for worst actor. Uh, <laughs> Of course, really? the Golden Raspberry Awards are basically they're the equivalent of worst movies out for that year. Um, and they come out around the same time as the Oscars. So the Oscars announce their nominations. The Razzies announce their nominations. Oh, my God. That's fucking yeah. amazing. And so along those lines, out of 94 reviews, how or what is the score on Rotten Tomatoes for this film? Well, it's not making me think highly of it so far with what you told me, but uh, maybe 30%? Oh, okay. Yeah, so not okay. tremendously bad. The critics' consensus, baseball wins, romance loses. Yeah. <laughs> that's it right there that's it that was a great episode man um, <laughs> um michael swago swago swagger i don't know s-r-a like how do you pronounce that s-r-a-g-o-w s-r-a what s-r-a-g-o-w like sriracha yeah, like Srago, but then G O W. How do you pronounce that? Gal, go, go. Sraga. Like that's what I'm saying. This is hard. I look at your face and you're trying to figure it out because it's a hard last name. My brain cannot like. I'm about to go type it in because I can't fucking like. My brain doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he wrote. For love of the game asks whether the same qualities that make an athlete a champion don't also destroy his happiness. The answer, unfortunately, is long-winded and redundant, but some of the baseball scenes are good. (laughs) 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 And then Michael Wilmington of the Chicago Tribune gave it two out of four, but it's considered a a negative review. Uh, This is no perfect or even half-perfect game. It's another movie where conventions are subbed for life lessons, where the emotions are cued by golden oldies, and where the motivation, at least on the studio's part, isn't love of the game, but money. I don't know about the money thing, but... 
I mean, yeah. Well, they were trying to bake off of Costner and Preston in the late. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. In that respect, that's obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, Jack Matthews of the New York Daily News gave it a 2.5 out of 4, but it's considered a negative review once again. The baseball sequences are fabulous, not least because Costner looks and moves like a real player, which is a rarity for actors in sports movies. But the love story, a five-year off-and-on affair, is little more than a sop to Costner's romantic faithful. Yeah. Basically like a little piece of gristle. So let's talk about the movie. Um, as I mentioned, I feel like this movie, which I own on DVD and I've seen many times, is literally two movies, two complete movies that were about an hour long. Yep. Instead of trying to make either one of them an hour and a half long, they just put them together and made a two-hour movie. Yep. <laughs> um, and I don't know how I feel about that. I don't necessarily hate it, but that feeling is there throughout. It's, it's a very, yeah, it's a very like, um, it's, it's got stuff to it. Like it's, it's got a solid core of shit to it because of those, the bulk of both of those storylines, but there's definitely gaps where it's just, it just feels incomplete and kind of like surface level in terms of emotions. Like it makes you feel shit deeply but then once you're out of the movie it's like yeah it's kind of very just surface level storytelling well the thing is for the baseball it works for the romantic storyline it doesn't quite work the way they tell the story because in like with baseball like you see mickey hart have his have the baseball pop off his head and become a home run in boston and then Billy gives him a, a pep talk afterward about it. And then in the eighth inning, he robs the home run from Davis Birch. You know, Billy's old or old friend who used to be a yeah. tiger. Yeah. And so like that flashback is a foreshadow and precursor to the significance of the moment that happens in the eighth inning. But then when you think about the love story, like think about the first time they, they have, or that Jane and Billy have a falling out. And that's because he begs the masseuse when, when she finally decides to come down to Florida after she argued not to come down to Florida. And then they have their quick breakup. But then, you know, all of a sudden, the next time they talk, like she's asking him to go, like, get her kid in Boston months later. And it's just like, we don't get those months to see yeah. how they have felt and the pain they've gone through and how much they miss each other or this and that and the other sort of thing. Exactly. Um, you know, never mind the fact that she never told him about her daughter at any point until he needed to go get her. Yeah. I, I really like on the one hand, I like that format as a storytelling technique that we get on the baseball side of things. We get one game. And mm-hmm. it's just writing that game along with him. And that's the narrative. That's the storyline. That's really cool to me. And then to pair yeah. that with flashbacks, and that's how we learn about him. Like, yes. over the course of one pitching performance, the last one of his career, I go from not knowing this guy at all to by the end of it, like, like both of us fucking crying in the movie because of it. Like, that's <laughs> yes, great storytelling part from that us, part. Yeah. 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 But then the romance part, like, in theory, that concept is cool to have those flashbacks, but it it lacked the continuity that the baseball side of it had. They try it, it's it's the fact that they tried to give the romance as much depth as the baseball part had, but they couldn't. Yeah, it, like because there is a you know there is a sports movie in here that just gives like a quarter of the time to the romance. And so then he gets the girl at the end and you just kind of, you could just kind of, it would be like watching a, a comedy that we wouldn't review here. Like you meant, you accidentally said it earlier, the water boy, for instance. Yeah. Like a quarter of the time, like movie time was dedicated to like the romance between Vicky Betancourt and the water boy and they get married and drive off on a lawnmower or whatever the hell at the end of the movie. 
And like, but at the same time, you can kind of just like, when you watch the water boy, you think of that romance, you think, Oh, you know, he gets the girl at the end, whatever. Right. In this film, they could have given about that much effort as the water boy does and just made it more baseball. And then, Oh, like you like maybe an estranged wife, maybe the kid, like if he actually had a wife and a kid and they just don't spend time together and and more of the conflict is just like, he's never here. Oh my God. You know, that sort of thing. Right. And then, like, at the end, he's just like, I want to be with the family. I get, I retired to be here with you. Or, like, to, like, like uh, that sort of thing. You could you could then write it off as, like, oh, he gets the girl at the end. But instead, they tried to make it a little more nuanced, which I admire. But at the same time, it just can't work because it involves too much effort that they weren't willing to give. Yeah. you need You need more continuity and you need more you need more scenes with them together to give, to give me the, the idea that like, I get that there's this drama and tension between them, but a lot of it is like, you've just put it right out there. And I haven't like, I haven't gone along on the journey with them as much as I did with the baseball side of things, you know? So -hmm. it's like hard to feel for them as much. And it's Mm -hmm. like, like you're saying at that point, like, if you if you don't have the time to invest in that storyline, then you got to play it off as like a little more light of a comet or a romantic side of it. Yeah. Like Major League, yeah. for example, like that's probably the other extreme, but still like that's comically played off and it's in the background. Obviously, this wouldn't be in the background, but I mean, I would argue that they actually did try in Major League. They did try. To make it a serious relationship, it was just that it was so horribly written. Like they did, Jake was try such to an one, yeah. Yes, Jake was so irredeemable as a human being that it was really hard to like go with it. But they still tried to make it a thing. Yeah, because <laughs> like you could hear, like you could hear the music every time that he talks with <laughs> Rene Russo in that movie. Yeah. Like it's just like some like stupid like late eighties, early nineties, like older man like adult contemporary like ain't we got it all like sort of like stupid song like in the background of that movie like there's just like this weird ass like generic song that plays every time they're in a scene together like oh man remember when we were in mexico we had that time yeah and then you ran away with like it was so so shallow surface level bullshit it was just very like it was just and so, like, this one, I felt, was had some nuance to it. It and had like, depth uh, to that storyline, for sure. Because, you know, when you look at what's... It, it's kind of shown, but it's not told. Is that these are two very guarded people, and there's reasons for why they're guarded. Right. Like, in the case of, you know, Jane, you find out she was 16 when she got pregnant. And so she's had to be guarded and tough because she's been raising a kid on her own through her twenties. Like, so it's hard for her to just kind of be like, Oh my gosh, there's this star rich baseball player. Like it'd be like Justin Verlander was single randomly. And like all of a sudden fell into this girl's (laughs) life randomly. I was imagining Justin Verlander the whole time. Probably. Well, because of the tigers thing, the tigers thing, you know? Yeah. yeah, and in the same kind of career, like because he's at that point in his career right now, because um, he's coming back from a Tommy John. I'm sure everyone's doubting that he's going to come back, like at almost forty. They're just everyone's probably thinking, yeah, "There's no terrible. way." It's gonna be terrible. But nah, if you don't if you don't get your mind right, <laughs> then, <laughs> then you need to get the fuck out, Kate. He's telling that's Kate Upton right now. You need to get your mind right. <laughs> Or pack up or shit, get out. <laughs> I mean, there, there was there was definitely there was definitely a lot of depth to their what we did see of their relationship. There was like they had some real arguments, some like you know they had deeper shit going on in their lives. Like you know she wasn't just you know in her late twenties trying to find herself kind of thing. You know she wasn't being me. So, you know, she had real fucking issues. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it just, I still, there were parts of it that were lacking for me. I, I was like, I, I want to see them, like, 
not be so fucking toxic. How about that? Everything one? seems melodramatic and avoidable yes. because we don't see the lead ups to it. And it's just like, but at the same time, if you think, if you put yourself into that situation, how can you really commit and be 100% in on something and be 100% open to share your feelings to something or someone when there's usually months of distance and space between yeah. But I mean, there that, yeah. Well, that's true. That is true. And so it's just every every time you encounter is almost like the first time you're encountering them again, and that's really hard to build and be completely okay with. Well, shit. At that point. Maybe their narrative was done correctly. Then in that case, like it was, it felt choppy because realistically, in real life, it would be. Yeah. Exactly. Well, fuck. When we look at it that way, that's... That's why I don't mind... Like That's why I say I'm not sure if it's like bad or good. I I, just, yeah, I legitimately it, don't know how to feel it, about this movie. It, it just... like As far as like the love story, that, that half of the movie, I don't necessarily think it's as bad as everyone says. And I don't think it's necessarily as thrown away as everyone says. I just think that they, they got about two-thirds of the way there. And I think of where they want it to be because it's Kevin Costner. It's probably a little harder to take seriously, you know, like, I don't know. Just so you hate Kevin Costner. Well, obviously in this case, I'm not alone. I'm sure we brought it, brought it up for Bull Durham, but if you can remind why I really don't have a, like a specific go-to reason. It's just like, I think I still feel spited by Field of Dreams, like having to sit there and watch that bullshit and then be told by everyone else around me in the fucking locker room that that's the best movie of all time. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, it's so <laughs> slow and boring. And Kevin Costner takes 60 fucking years to eke out a fucking line as if we're I supposed mean, to be hanging on his every word. It's like, uh, I think I just feel spited from that still. This was actually like, I did not mind him in this at all. This is, yeah, this was basically a, a happy medium between Crash Davis of Bull Durham and Roy or Ray, whatever his name is, and Field of Dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's not as, not as like closed lipped, like Midwestern, like boring as he is yeah. in Field of Dreams. And then he's not as like, foul mouth like <laughs> foul mouth uh just un like untamable animal as he was in boulder but it's a little bit of both yeah he's still he's he's wiser and older but he's still got some fire to him that's yeah for a ball player i think he played it pretty well i think that was actually probably kevin costner's sweet spot right there like <laughs> That's what he should have always been playing. Because I feel like he was always 40 years old. Like, was Kevin Costner ever younger than that? I mean, Bull Durham and this movie are over 10 years old. And they basically played the same part of his baseball career. The end of it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, he's he's been at the end of his baseball career for a decade now. (laughs) (laughs) He's, He's still clinging on. Yeah, he said somehow finding some contracts out there. Keep getting them checks, man. That's what I wanted to hear Vince Scully say at one point. Yeah. Somehow, ten years later, he's still here. And now in his nineteenth season, he is still somehow taking his checks to the bank. They know his face when he comes in, and they make sure he has an extra dumb dumb sucker when he leaves. <laughs> Yeah, he's always looked like a old weathered glove. I think that's why we always associate him with baseball. <laughs> yeah, I agree. God. Speaking of baseball, the baseball in this movie, everyone says it's good. What it, and I, I told you, I, I told I you the it. baseball in this I film is damn it. good. Right? I dug it. It was solid. How- it was good drama. It was good build up. Good intensity at the right moments. Having the whole game drawn out was really fun too, because like 
every other baseball movie I've ever seen, rom-com or not, is always like over the scale of a season or even a career. It's not over mm-hmm. just one game. And yeah. so to see like a whole game drawn out like that reminded me of like, that's right. This is why I love baseball. It's not because of the 162 game season necessarily. Yeah, that's fun to look back on. But yeah, in the moment, in the experience, it's about that game, that inning, that out, that fucking pitch. Like when it gets down to that minutia and that intense of a singularity of a moment, that's the beauty of baseball. Well, I mean, they saved money by not including players of the time in the film. It was probably pretty easy by labeling them the Tigers. Yeah. <laughs> like, they got the team right, so they didn't, like, get players. And that allowed for greater nuance in the relationships between Billy Chappell and the players. So then you get the fun story with Sam Tuttle. Then you get the fun story with Davis Birch. You get the Mickey Hart thing. You get Gus. Like, you get all these relationships that you wouldn't have gotten if you had used real players. Right. And so – I like the way that they did this. Now, at the same time, Little Big League, which I've said is the best baseball movie ever, and I'll I'll go to the grave with that. I don't care. But Little Big League, they used real players and like to kind of make baseball fun in the movie and like use their likeness and everything else. Right. And they did it a different way, and that also worked. It's just when you it like with baseball movies. It just comes down to, do you like baseball or not? And if you like baseball, it shows through. If you put an effort into little things like the relationships between the characters and everything else like that, or, you know, making or making it a satire on real baseball players, if you just put any sort of extra effort on the little things like that. It shows through and it makes people who like baseball really like your movie. But if you, you know, kind of give it a, a second thought in baseball. You just kind of give the name or you just kind of say names as a, you know, punchline slash lip service. Mm-hmm. And then you just happen to be at the game where they finally break the curse and you get to go kiss on the field when you really shouldn't be there at all. Like say in fever pitch, a movie that we've already reviewed. Jesus, It's not going to come through as well. And it's going to be a movie that you end up killing. Yeah. Yeah. There's right ways and wrong ways to do this baseball stuff is what I'm trying to say. And for love of the game, does it right for sure. It, it does. It really does. It, it captures everything that it needs to about the game that makes it, at least for us, it makes it fun to watch. Yeah. Well, and when you get good actors like JK Simmons and John C. Riley, it's going to make it even easier. JK yeah. Simmons is a manager. Yeah. Fucking fantastic. fantastic with his mustache and everything. And then on top of that, the pat on the fanny scene, <laughs> especially when he comes back and with the smile just gives him the pat. And then, of course, John C. Riley. Just this is a John C. Riley appreciation podcast, much like, <laughs> you know, much like with Catherine Hahn, much like with like there's other people out there, but. John C. Riley is a fucking genius. He's the best, and I will never hear an opposite opinion on that. <laughs> he is so damn good, and he is so good at this movie. Just being He's the okay. friend. Uh, shut up. <laughs> just like being the friend slash catcher, just the guy that Billy could rely on, and then the speech he gave in the eighth inning. We both paused it because we were both God. tearing up. That speech, like, well, first off, what do you think of John C. Riley in the film? I think he's trash. That speech pissed me off. How dare he make me fucking feel things? He's fantastic. Like he was, <laughs> their their fucking relationship is so fucking heartwarming and amazing and hilarious. It was, it yeah. was like the breath of fresh air that he consistently needed. And like, yeah, Jane has the nerve to say, oh, it's it's baseball that you've always had a partnership with. No, I'm pretty sure it's Gus. Like, yeah, pretty sure Gus has been his partner 
that's the love of his fucking life right there. That's like, that's like love actually. I'm pretty sure you're the fucking yes. love of my it's life. Like, it happens to be my manager. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's Billy Mack and his manager mm-hmm. all over again. Because that that kind of chemistry, that's what baseball is. That's what any team sport really is about. Like when you find that level of chemistry, which doesn't always happen, it's rare. When you find that connection with your teammates and you're jiving, like he says in that speech, like, you know what? We might not be good yeah. any other day, but hey, right now for you, we, we are the stink. best. Yeah. We are the best team in baseball because of you right now. So like that kind of camaraderie and that kind of unity in the moment is so fucking heartwarming to be reminded of by him. Yeah. It's fucking just, beautiful. And then it's just like, you know, that you can, you can trust us. Like we we're going to be there for you. We're going to be here. Like just hearing someone assure someone else, like we are here for you. We yeah. got you. Yeah. That's, that's tear inducing to me. Like, Oh, totally. Especially when it comes from someone that isn't necessarily obligated to do that. Like a parent or like someone that you share a life with. You know, there's like a sense of obligation. Like, well, of course they would be there. Like, I mean, of course I already know this, right. but when it's someone that, you don't necessarily expect to provide that kind of level of support and they're doing it because they choose to, because they want to. Yeah. That's where it really affects me. Like, and so that's why I was tearing up. Cause I was just like, man, yes. And then also I knew what was going to end up happening, but um, I mean, that's like, I, I get the same feeling. Like I get the same feeling whenever I see, at the end of Creed one, when he's in the corner before the very last round and his eyes completely closed up and he can't see out of it. And Rocky wants to stop the fight for Adonis. He's like, like you've, you have nothing left to prove. Like what, like, what are you, what are you trying to prove? And then he says that I wasn't a mistake. Yeah. Because he was born out of a, an out an extramarital affair, right? And that, and he never got, actually got to meet Apollo before Apollo died. Yeah. So he's just this thrown away kid who came up a juvenile and everything else. And now, like, and so at the end of the film, he finally says the part that everyone kind of thinks out loud that he's trying to prove he's not a mistake. And then Rocky's like, "Look, kid, like." And then basically Rocky's like, you brought me out of my funk. You're helping me overcome cancer and this and that. And they share a moment. And when he says that, you know, I wasn't a mistake part. It just, it tears come down my face every time. It's just like that whole, you know, wanting to belong, wanting to be Mm -hmm. like, and being supported by those by someone like just that's uh, that's emotional to me in movies and so this yeah. was just one of those moments and it's just and it was just funny that like that was tear inducing but i just but we also just witnessed billy and jane have an ugly ass fight at in florida where he throws her bathroom shit and he basically tell like Ugh. Pushes her away, breaks up with her in an ugly fashion, and none of that was tear-inducing. It was just the mat. It was more of just like, "Oh, you fucking dummy." If anything, you- that made me close up even more because, like that, that brought back fucking flashbacks to to childhood, like watching my parents mm. do that shit. So, like, yeah. coming from that scene where I'm closed up as fuck. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to re-experience that shit. No, this is hitting home mm-hmm. to go to that scene where John C. Riley gives him this fucking monologue yeah, about, you know, supporting him and shit. And it's like, oh and my God, after- I'm fucking crying like a, a kid. Jesus. But they do a great job of bringing him in too on that, like of setting that whole scene up. Cause that's also where you saw the beautiful shot that you liked with the Yankees and the zero, zero, zeros. Oh yeah. See, that's the intensity I'm talking about. Like 
building up with stuff like that like like you said it has to be like if you like baseball you'll like that scene if you don't like baseball that shit's probably not gonna like that's gonna go right over your head yeah but to have that scene where it's just taking advantage of kevin costner's most like signature trait which is just squinting at shit (laughs) Um, and just just looking just having the camera on him squinting at something off in the distance behind the camera behind us so then all of a sudden the camera turns and we see the scoreboard and it's just it pans slowly across as it shows you inning after inning of zeros and then you get to the last three zeros and you know exactly what those are if you've ever looked at a fucking box score like it's runs, hits, errors. None of that is labeled. It's just zeros. There's no numbers for the innings. There's no R, H, E, nothing. And to have that simplicity and have that all still be building suspense and the pressure that he's got one fucking inning left. Well, it's two at that time, but yeah. Oh, two at that time, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was beautiful. You don't need dialogue. You don't need anything. You don't even need fucking headers on the scoreboard. You just need squinty eyes and zeros and a slow pan. And and then, of course, you know, because we know baseball, we got that. Yeah. But then they wanted to make sure everyone else got that when he was just like, so I haven't allowed anyone on base. (laughs) Like, and so that part was pretty, like, was kind of funny, too, just like watching him kind of come to the realization as well. Right. But then that realization like also made him think about his shoulder pain. like, fuck. And, you know, he, I think also just the way that he says, like, I don't know how much I have left. Yeah. He didn't just say that for the game. Like there was a lot of double entendre stuff, you know, and of course that leads to his like retirement at the end of the movie as well. There's just a lot of like everyone kind of sees the writing on the wall, mm-hmm. but no one was willing to kind of, you know, accept it. And and then everyone kind of slowly had to accept it. Like first Wheeler, then Billy, and then, you know, the rest of everyone else. So, but yeah. Yeah. There's an added gravitas to it. Which. I don't I don't know that I liked how they finalized it to be honest. Like that he finished his perfect game. Hmm. I know that might be an unpopular opinion, but I was kind of surprised they went that direction. I think I would have liked to see the the perfect game not happen, but instead he kind of like passes the baton to this kid in a way, you know, and he is, he's comfortable with it. He is like, come to terms with it and says like, yes, I'm ready to walk away. Someone else will like, it's time to pass things on to a new generation kind of thing. Instead, it, it kind of like, I don't know, to me, it felt more of like a Hallmark channel ending where it was like, yeah, this is a beautiful moment. And I'm the kid in me who loves baseball is fucking digging it. But it just after all of I, this dramatic buildup for two hours, then you have a very, I don't know. It seemed very fantastical, I guess, for all of the realism and drama they built up before all that. I disagree. Here's why. Cause like, I feel like with all other, you know, you kind of go with like all other baseball movies have the happy ending. And so I get like, this felt a little more nuanced, a little more, grounded so you would think like it wouldn't do the same happy ending that most baseball movies do but then if you really look at the happy endings of some of these baseball movies major league they win or they make the playoffs right they don't win the playoffs they end up getting eliminated in the playoffs as you find out in major league two they just made the playoffs well, I guess I guess what I'm saying is from a romantic perspective, I would have liked to see the happy ending be her, not the perfect game. Like I feel like the perfect game has to happen in order for that happy ending with her to make to be even more oh, important. If, if he because had lost then he has the, the moment. Game. 
because then if he lost the perfect game, the crying in the bedroom can also be yeah. the fact that he lost the perfect game on his last start. The, it's the fact that he did get the perfect game. He did accomplish something. He's now looking back at his career Damn in it. this fantastic light. And all of it is rushing at him at the same time. He realizes the love of his life is not in his life. That's very true that it does set up for that scene. And that scene is super powerful because of it that. is watching him cry after putting Gus to bed. Because just seeing that scene shows us again, just like the zeros did. It shows us without telling us anything exactly how he feels that he called, he called someone they didn't answer. And now he's crying and we can kind of infer who the fuck it is. And mm-hmm. That's what really matters to him right now. He's discovered that after a wonderful career, it's not what he wants anymore. It's not what he truly loves anymore. What he truly loves wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So it, that's the growth that we always want to see from these rom-coms, right? Is like the person realize like what truly matters to them. So, Yeah. And, you know, it's also what you would expect from those who are very guarded yeah which these two people are which again like you said you won't have if he doesn't win the per or if he doesn't get the perfect game because then it's just going to seem like he's running back to her out of desperation and he hasn't learned shit yeah and like then also you don't have the like in the speech you have afterward to her you're just like guy you know, I didn't get my perfect game last night, but that's not why I'm here. You know, yeah. it, it becomes something that could be fallen back to as an excuse by her. And, you know, she will find excuses to try to not do to do something in a relationship with him. Because she that's all she does in the fucking movie. Because that's she's all super she guarded. fucking does. OK, can we take a second and fucking talk about her for a minute? Sure. Let's let's talk about like first off, R.I.P. to Kelly Preston. Yeah. You know, R.I.P. She was a fantastic actress. Gone way too soon. Fuck breast cancer. Fuck cancer Seriously. in general. Um, Jesus. She, Kelly Preston also was just one of the more fetching actresses on t- on screen. And she um, was she was hot, she was fantastic man. at Jerry Maguire, which we saw earlier in the podcast. Um, and the she could wear a pair of glasses. I oh swear. But she was in she glasses was so in this film. Smoking anyway. in those glasses. But the character of Jane. <laughs> the fucking Jane. Is not a good character. It is obvious that this is a male written novel from 1991 about a pitcher who pitches the perfect game but just happens to think about the relationship. And like, it, you can just tell that this is a very male dominated story. Yep. About baseball that happens to have love. And then they just happen to have to write a female character for that love story. And they didn't quite know what to do other than she nags a bunch. <laughs> yeah, That was about all they got for her. And ultimately at the end, she's still just kind of waiting around for him. Like they didn't write, you know, this, they, they made the attempt at an independent character, but they, you know, inevitably when you boil it down to the bare bones, it's still just the girl waiting around for her, you know, aging athlete love yeah. to finally choose her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I mean, she never had the love stories. It's like she, she wanted the love story, but she could never actually believe in the love story. And so she was just like, she was always just one foot in the water and yeah. just like, can someone just push her into the damn thing? Like, get wet. Like, let's go. She's always but. very skittish, which, like, I get if you have that kind of history and track record. But, you know, I mean, that's, I guess that's a life lesson that some people, uh, most of us go through, actually, is, like, learning, like, all right, yeah, it's a catch-22. You kind of have to just go for it and hope it works out. Otherwise, you really aren't going to get all of it. Yeah, but I mean, that kind of leads to the kiss. Well, that leads to kind of my thoughts on the kiss of the film. Well, before off, hang on, before we even get there, like just to expand on that, the the 
what did you say she was nagging a nag yeah yeah to expand on that even further it wasn't she was just there was so much avoidable stuff that she because she was skittish she just like immediately assumed that the worst outcome was about to happen and had one foot out the door and it was like for fuck's sake if you guys just either of you just take a fucking second and say five more words there's a whole hour of this movie that doesn't happen please (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like i don't know when i feel like when you're two people that are in that kind of situation, yeah, it's really tough when you're bouncing off of, you know, seeing each other once every month kind of thing. But like, it, in theory, that makes it all the more fucking needy. Like, you have to fucking, you have limited time to see each other and all of this time to worry about what's happening. All this time to yourself without the other person to think about it in the background. So it's like, when you are together, just fucking talk, please. Just Avoid the drama when possible. Yeah, it's she's she's definitely a plan for the worst, hope for the best person. Like the whole like throwing fits and shit about like dramatizing her flight to London, for example, like saying that she'll meet him that night in his hotel room doesn't show up. He calls her several times, ignores those shows up just in time to give this flighty fucking excuse like oh i've got a plane to catch in half an hour so like i just came to say goodbye let's i'm gonna make you chase me through a fucking park to do this also i know you have a big game tonight but let's do this shit anyway like that kind of bullshit it's like you both need to grow the fuck up like stop doing this shit stop playing games well she didn't know that because i think that like it was a a late decision for him to start well that's where communication would have come in handy from his side like saying like right up front like i don't have time for this bullshit so tell me what the fuck you're doing right now like what, what are we doing well no they weren't communicating and i'm i think he invited her to dinner at that Waldorf before he got on the flight when he was right when right before the flight is when he was told they wanted to start him. Yes. Yeah. So he set this dinner up the night before his start before he knew he was going to start. But when he meets her in the park, like at this point, he's already been running around all morning trying to like, he's had her on his mind the whole time. And then he finally gets word that she's waiting in the lobby. By the time he goes down there, she's gone. Now he's chasing her through the park. All the while, like he knows at this point, I got a fucking game tonight. Like, I don't have time for this shit. Like, I would have been pissed. I would have been like, all right, I'm starting tonight. Like, I got shit to do. And I'm fucking broken hearted. And you're, you're messing with me. You don't show up last night. Now you're not answering my calls. Like, and now I have a big game to pitch tonight. This is the last kind of shit I need. This is superfluous stuff that this is extra drama that I don't want to deal with. Like just well, talk that to and me. A mi- That's a microcosm of their entire five-year relationship. And that's also the problem that she's had with him is that the fact that he puts his career first instead of their relationship first and that she's always coming second. So why would she commit in the first place? So it's a lot easier to just do what she's doing now. Because she already assumed he probably would have already gone to the game. and wasn't going to meet her down the lobby or in the park. And she was going to end up going to London without even seeing him anyway. I guess from my perspective, I still call bullshit. <laughs> just because it's like, be, be a fucking adult. Show up at 8 o'clock at his hotel room and immediately... Or not in his hotel room. Call him from the lobby and say, I need you to meet me downstairs. Let's have a drink in the bar instead. And then calmly and adultly and civilly explain to him, look, I don't want to continue this. I need to focus on me. You need to focus on baseball. Let's go our separate ways. Don't drag it out. Jesus. (laughs) So did you have an opinion on what the kiss of the film would be? Uh, It would probably be the most 
like intense one. Well, I always go for that one. I was going to go for the intense one at the end in the airport with the guy that turns around and shakes his head at them. Yeah. <laughs> While they're on their knees. Yeah. <laughs> I never understood that choice. On, on that, that gross ass car. Like, why the uh-uh. fuck are you on your knees? Like, why, why did they do that? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I would say that one. I, and what grade would you give it? Like, what are your thoughts on it? I'd, I'd give it a B. I mean, it was, it did its, it did its thing. It was passionate, but it was a little over the top and weird. Okay. For me, I think the kiss of the film is the kiss that they exchange after he helps get uh, Heather back to Jane. When he sees her house for the first time and he sees the ball and they like say a couple words and then they exchange a kiss by the fireplace. And then it kind of goes into like a full makeout. Yeah. If they had stopped at the initial kiss after like their first like lips like locked and everything else like that. I think that that would have been an A kiss, but then they go back in and they do like a makeout and then it becomes one of those like movie makeouts where they're just like mushing their face together. Yeah. And then, and then it looks weird. So then it drops to like a B plus. Yeah. <laughs> but I still think the emotion and everything that leads up to that situation when they actually do kiss, like she's finally let her guard down and let him in by telling him she has a daughter by showing him her house, by just letting him into her life, which she would think would scare him away. Billy Chapel, the famous right. baseball pitcher. And then he decides to stand there and he sees that she's kept on to the baseball and she's willing to let him into her life. And he actually likes being in her life. And he likes this feeling that he has of, for the first time, being relied upon as a man, not just looked at as a star pitcher. Which is why he gets and so offended they, by and the And so they routine. both have their walls down and then they they kiss. And it's just, so I feel like that is the kiss of the film and something that they wanted to make happen with this love story in this film and they just couldn't make happen often enough. But this moment had it, I thought. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with your the buildup of their, like they had outside of the, the toxic drama that was created, they actually had a lot of believability to their relationship. What, what parts we did see, you know, like some of their discussions were nice to be a part of, of course, even the arguments were very real and like, you know, very realistic. That's it. Um, Mm -hmm. And like their whole building of a relationship made a lot of sense. Like his whole being offended by, um, being like that she thinks she's a groupie you know like that just adds to what you said about being wanted as someone other than a being a ball player you know mm-hmm. and also what is she saying about him and his thoughts and his choices like that he's only looking for groupies like there's more to me I, I'm not just some dude who's just bagging hoes you right. know what I'm saying exactly like I'm a, I'm actually trying to find like don't diss the quality of women that I'm trying to bag right now. <laughs> or like when I says fuck high the class broads. The masseuse. I fuck high class broads and high class masseuses. <laughs> I, excuse- I fuck broads that want to give me the happy ending and don't require me to pay for the happy ending. His his excuse when uh, she asks, yells at him like, well. Who is she to you? And she's like, he goes, I like her. She's my masseuse. Uh, she's my masseuse. Then why is she there? I like her. I like her. She's my masseuse. She's my masseuse. <laughs> it's just such a fucking dude answer. That's that. If I it, love that. If it was any other situation, that is, that is a very fuckboy type answer. <laughs> very fuckboy answer for sure um i mean even in the situation it, it is a little bit but in the context of yeah. like just being honest about himself it's good yeah. but 
one thing I do like in this film as well is the relationship that he creates with Heather. Oh yeah, as her de facto dad. That was a nice little side side story. Yeah, and when she sees him and you know says I miss you, sort of thing at college yeah. in L.A. And it's just like, you know, the the positive effect that he had on her life, even, you know, yeah. this off and on. Yeah. Because her real dad just smokes weed 90% of the time, which I don't see a problem. Could it be with. me? I don't see a problem. It sounds like a good dude to me. Probably happy as shit. Although his, I have no idea. The shit that she described in his fridge is like, dude, come on. That's not a real stoner's fridge. Come on. Get out of here. It was like, she said, what was it? Like light beer and. No, it was uh, mustard. Mustard. Uh, something else and a V8. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no that that might be a bachelor's fridge but come on if he's if he's high 90 percent of the time there's some different shit in there man come on he's gonna have the munchies he's gonna need there's some. at least one there's at least one thing that's in the fridge that doesn't need to be in the fridge that's for sure oh totally so he, he's probably got like a box of ritz crackers in the fridge <laughs> <laughs> like I've done that so many fucking times. <laughs> I use I always catch myself before I do it, but then I like catch myself mid action, and I'm just like, nope, standing there with the fridge door open, and going, "What are you doing? No, <laughs> this like, doesn't go here." No. <laughs> oh man. But anyway, I, like I think we've talked plenty about this film overall. What's your verdict for it? Um, I'd say if you're into baseball, it's like I am, it's a, it's a fuck. You got to watch the baseball part of it. Everything else is a kill. <laughs> uh, the toxicity pissed me off to the point that I was just like, I don't, I don't need this extra drama. I don't need to sit here and listen to this. But the baseball is, is if you're into baseball, it's very redeemable. It's a very good part. And because the baseball is such a big element of the movie, it makes it watchable. It's not yep. like, you know, some Hallmark rom-drum where the, the protagonist, male protagonist character just happens to be a baseball player, you know? It's like, this movie is actually about baseball, so that's good. So, yeah. What about you? I married the film. I own that on DVD uh, for a reason. Uh, same thing about the baseball. The baseball is fantastic in this film. Uh, it is a top three baseball film for me. Um, the baseball. Is I have phenomenal. it. I have it ahead of Bull Durham myself. Um, I like Bull Durham a lot, but I feel like it's overrated as a baseball film. I think it's a good hangout comedy. Yeah. But yeah. the baseball in it isn't that great. Exactly. The baseball in this is fantastic. The baseball in Major League is really fun, and the baseball in Little League Big League is the best. Um, but nonetheless, uh, and I don't mind the love story. Uh, you know, going back to my ma mashed potatoes and meatloaf analogy, I made myself very hungry when I came up with that analogy. <laughs> it's still two really good things mixed together in a mash that is just like, even though I don't know what this is, I know I like both pieces and I'm going to eat it anyway. So I married this film. <laughs> like That's it. That's, that's understandable. Um, so, um, so you can find our show socials at on Instagram at bromancing the stone podcast. That's all one word together. Bromancing the stone podcast. Uh, and then you can find us on Twitter where I live tweeted this film. So you can actually read the live tweets from watching this film uh, at bro, the stone pod. That's B R O T H E S T O N E P O D. And then you can find me on Twitter at supermarket sweep without the E and super. So S U P R market sweep. And you can find me on Instagram at Relusa88, R-E-L-U-S-A-8. And then Max. On Instagram, you can find me at the Lionhearted with a period, T-H-E period L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T-E-D. 
And on Twitter, you can find me at the Lionhearted with an underscore, which is T H E underscore L Y O N H E A R T E D. Hail to the year, baby! Max, a million lion. <laughs> it is your choice for a film. We gave you a week to think about it because we came up with this joint one for opening day for baseball. Which was which was a solid kickoff to the season, I gotta say. Like I am stoked. I'm for ready baseball. for baseball. I am so I'm ready. fucking ready for baseball after watching Gus leg out a double and score the only fucking run. Fucking Gus legged out the double. We didn't bring Gus legged out the double, baby. Oh, that was that was a great scene. So yeah. Uh so after that, I think I'm gonna swing us back to a comedy fix. Okay. And I'm gonna I've never seen it, and I I want to, so I'm gonna choose Sixteen Candles. Yay! Oh, another film I own on DVD. I figured. Well, I, I thought it might be one of your your classics. I, <laughs> but you know what? I've only seen it once. What? I bought it because I found it in like the three dollar bin at a Walmart, and I knew it was supposed to be good. And I had uh, and I had known scenes during the movie, so I ended up buying it. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I hadn't watched it again since. So, um, so that we'll was see your, what happens. That was your three dollar draft uh, auction draft that didn't pan out. I mean, my quite frankly, if I don't remember to pull out my DVDs over the next week, there's a chance I may end up paying three dollars again to watch it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it's on HBO Max. I already paid fifteen. Uh, I mean, we have so off. many fucking streaming anyway. services at this point. Like, you think Seriously. it'd be on one of them? Hang on. You know what? Let exactly. me just look it up right now. Let's let's see if we can help each other out. People helping people. People, people, people helping people. <laughs> people, people, people. Um, all watch options. What do we got? Um, fucking nothing. Okay, yeah. Amazon Prime for three ninety nine. <laughs> oh, there we go i'm gonna start choosing movies based on that now fuck this like i'm just i'm just gonna <laughs> isn't start that why you, isn't that why i went down to, to all the boys i loved before yeah. initially is he wanted to stay on netflix and yeah. then we just happened to coincide with the whole trilogy ending so that, that we was, just went straight that was so beautiful. that was fun that was, I enjoyed that. That right was around, a great yeah. stretch in our podcast. I loved that. Yeah. I mean, Noah Centineo and Fucking Lana Noah Condor Centineo. forever. That... Forever! Anyway. Oh, God. Um, until then, next week, 16 Candles. For the tens and tens of listeners, we love y'all. Thank you for listening. Have a great week. Love you guys. <laughs>